Whovians, and welcome to the main channel. Welcome back to Doctor Who Discussions yet again. I'm still sorry for Apple listeners, because I don't know what Apple are doing with the... Well, God, they need to fix that. But we are back. Now we are back to the interviews, like I did on the third channel and on the eighth channel, the all, all complicated Tom Mason stuff that you don't really need to know right now. But we are here with a very special guest. Now... When I say special guest, I really mean special guest. She's best known as Ace, the, the companion from the 80s. It's the one and only Sophie Aldridge. Hello, Tom. What a lovely welcome. Thank you. Hello, everybody. You're welcome. So with Doctor Who uh, as being the thing you were start, you, you were in, the, because Doctor Who had been around longer than that, how did you get into Doctor Who? Well... Um, I, my agent put me up for three episodes, actually. Um, she put me up for, because she saw on the cast breakdowns, you know, agents get these sort of breakdowns of who that, who people, various people want, and they, they fit their clients to who, you know, who's on the brief. Well, she saw that they were looking for somebody who could ride a motorbike, um, and who could play a 16 year old. Mm. Um, and even though I was 24 at the time, I looked quite young um, for my age. So she put me up for it. Mm. And, um, and then I went along for an audition. And um, as I said, it was, it was for three episodes of uh, Doctor Who. And it was for a story called Ray and the Bannermen, which was set um, on Barry Island in Wales. Um, but little did I know that they were also casting for the, the next story, Dragonfire. And they were also looking for a potential companion um, to go forward for, you know. Um, so it was very exciting because um, I'd never been I'd never been near a TV studio. Um, and I got the part. And did you have you ever seen Doctor Who before you got you got this? Yeah, I'd seen it growing up because in those days, I'm so old that there were only, well, gosh, two channels when I was very young. So there were literally, um, and, and you could only watch TV for certain times in the day. Um, so yes, everybody watched Doctor Who on a Saturday afternoon. It was a classic thing you did as a family. You sat down together and everybody watched Doctor Who. So. I can't remember Patrick Troughton. I don't know whether we actually had a TV at that point or not, but I certainly remember John Pertwee. I remember um, Katie Manning's character, Joe Grant. I remember Liz Sladen's character, Sarah Jane Smith. Um, and that's what I grew up with. So yes, I'd certainly seen it as a child. Um, in fact, my mum had to stop me watching Doctor Who when I was little because I got nightmares because of Cybermen. Uh, I was very, very scared of Cybermen. Not Daleks so much, it was Cybermen for me. Mm. And then when I got this audition, I didn't really know that it was still going, Doctor Who. I hadn't watched it for a long time. I'd seen a few of Peter Davidson's, I think, but I missed the whole of Colin Baker. Mm. Um, so I was kind of quite surprised it was still going. Yeah, and mm. then since you, 
got the role, was it um, was it fun being ace? Was it as fun as it looked on screen? Oh, it was amazing. It was just brilliant. Um, I'd never, as I said, never been in a TV studio before. So it was me dipping my toe into the world of TV and filming. And I loved it. I loved the process of filming itself. And I loved the people I was working with. Um, I loved the scripts. I loved my character. It was an amazing, an amazing opportunity for me. And, and then because uh, you, you had been cast in this big show, had your life changed? Did it like, like become something completely different to what your life was before Doctor Who? Nope, nothing changed. I mean, don't forget, this is the era before mobile phones, before social media. So the only way that people knew about me was when I did the odd interview in a, for a newspaper. And um, so, yes, I still, I traveled to TV center on the tube. I lived in a, in a, um, a housing association flat in Lewisham with a few friends of mine. Um, and actually I wasn't earning that much money because I'd never worked for the BBC before. And they used to do, I don't know whether they still do this thing where you, you got a set fee depending on how many times you'd worked for them. Um, because, so I'd never worked for them before. And in fact, I remember my first payment, um, my first week's work, if I took off the tax and the national insurance and the agent's fee, I was actually earning less than I was doing uh, the, job, the previous job, which was being in, in a, in, on an equity minimum uh, wage as a chorus member. So, I mean, it, wasn't, it didn't change my life in that way. But the way it has changed my life is that here I am. I mean, that was 1987, right? Mm. Here I am in 2022, still talking about it and, and still um, being just as in love with the whole world of Doctor Who as I ever was then. And also being able to having been able to sort of derive an income from it all those years for all those years as well and with with it being so what it is there was um so it's so why because i i love doctor who uh if you couldn't tell um and, yes i can see behind you yeah <laughs> yeah uh, and and i love watching fan like versions like when they when they make their own and Surprisingly, out of the blue, you were involved in Doctor Who Velocity. How did that come about? Because that was just blew my mind. Ah, oh. well, I believe that everyone needs to be given a chance. Mm. And if I'm if I'm available and if I've got some time, and if it sort of looks like something fun to do, um, I'll do it. And it's always an adventure I love meeting new people um I love doing stuff that's going to make a difference to to people and so yeah that's why really was it was it fun to do because it, it seemed like a fun project because it's like nothing that you've seen before because it's an American who who like they're they're my doctor is British but it's an American so it's a new take on the on the whole character was that was that a fun concept yeah, I love, I also love when fans get involved in 
thinking of new ideas and new worlds and new things. Because let's face it, after all these years, um, Ace is pretty much, you know, she's done a lot. Mm. And it's, so it's great to have new input and, and new ideas. So it was, it, it was very good to see how somebody, somebody else's take on the character. Yeah, and, um, and and I've been thinking about this like for a while now, but Sylvester McCoy was very famous for playing the spoons. And the question is, can you play the spoons? Have you ever learned from Sylvester himself? I've had a go. Yeah, I wouldn't like to say I'm a master of the spoons by any means. I mean, he's the, he's the true uh, guru of spoon playing. But uh, yeah, I have, I've, I've watched him. I've learned from the master, you know, or not the master, but you know what I mean, the doctor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah cause uh, the, the master's evil, you wouldn't want to learn from him. No, I wouldn't want to learn how to play the spoons from the master. No, his spoons will probably have lasers involved. Exactly. Now, since, since you no longer be our ace in the physical TV medium, you, you know, you now ace in a whole new light you are uh, entertaining people on on bus journeys, car journeys, on the, on the A14, on the M6, listening to audios. How did you get involved in Big Finish? Ah, well, not long after the show was cancelled, um, to our great sadness, Sylvester and I were asked by a fan friend of ours, um, Bill Baggs, if we would like to do some uh, some audio adventures with him and I'd worked with him on a series called The Stranger which was a sort of Doctor Who-ish offshoot uh, video project that he did with Colin and Nicola and I'd had such fun doing those with all sorts of people who are now involved in making the programme itself um, that I, I bec I'd become very good friends with Bill and I thought, yeah, that sounds really good fun. So he'd had, he'd see, he'd commissioned um, some audio scripts. Um, and I remember one of the first ones was by a writer called Mark Gatiss, whoever's heard of him. Um, and, uh, and we'd record them in somebody's damp basement in, I can't quite remember where it was, but, but that's how we got started with the audios. And then, Bill got his knuckles wrapped by the BBC because um, he was doing these audios without a license from the BBC. And they were rather, well, the characters were called The Professor and Ace. And they said, mm, you can't really do this. It's a, bit, it's a bit close to the Doctor and Ace. So he went, oh, all right, it's a fair cop. But by that time, people like Gary Russell and Jason Hay-Gallery at Big Finish, they'd, the, the, the format had been proven by BBV, it's called, um, who incidentally is the 30th anniversary, I think, around that of, of BBV this year, the last year this year. Um, so yes, it's 30 years ago. I can't believe it, we were doing those. Anyway, so Big Finish. Yeah, Big Finish did what, what Bill didn't. Mm. And they went to the BBC and they said, um, nobody else really is doing Doctor Who at the moment, um, especially not on audio. Can we, can we do it? Um, can we buy the license from you? And they said, yeah, all right. 
because I think by that time they were thinking of the film rights and yeah. the sort of screen market rather than audio. So they gave Big Finish the, uh, the audio rights and the rest is history. Yeah, and, and it's now been multi-platformed. It's, it's like so popular, they're always thing. And I think, I think it was in 2020 that Big Finish had got a world record and and what was that like when you when you had received this that you were part of a world record? Oh, it's amazing! Yes, I've even got a little plaque somewhere, a little uh, a, a thing to put in a frame that that says I'm part of this world record breaking achievement. Oh, it's it's amazing and well deserved, I would say. But it, I mean, I've got very little to do with it. I guess you know, I turn up and I read my lines and play the character of Ace, but. Um, the, the, the people behind it, particularly Jason um, and people like Gary initially, um, Nick Briggs, David Richardson, John Ainsworth in the early days, all those brilliant directors, Ken Bentley, we work a lot with Samuel Clements. I mean, they're the ones who really, and also not forgetting our um, studio engineer for many, many years, Toby, who um, he's been just like, dedicated to Big Finish for years and years and years. So it's all those people really who do the hard work. We just turn up and yeah. have fun. <laughs> <laughs> you have the fun job and they have the, the hard job. Exactly, yeah. And now what was it like working with Sylvester McCoy as he's such a big man? Oh, it was, it's been one of the great joys of my life to have met and worked with Sylvester. Really, we hit it off straight away in 1987 when we met. And I saw him actually about 10 days ago. Um, and we were, I was doing a job in a, a studio in West London called The Sound House, which is another lovely studio um, that I love working in. I was doing some uh, English language recording and I finished and was just about to go out the door. and. Freddie, who's the studio manager there and misses everything there. She said to me, oh, you know, Sylvester's in, do you? I said, no. She said, let's go and find him. So we walked into a studio and he was recording a, um, a something for Big Finish. And it was just great to see him again. And we, we keep in touch regularly. Yeah, so it, it was it really was a fantastic joy to work with him. And I learned such a lot from him. Mm -hmm. mm. And um, not with with Doctor Who because of the, the way fans have like de developed over the years, and, and conventions have become like really popular. And because you're one of because you're you're part of this show now. Uh, well, you've been part of it for a while, not just now. But you because it's been a big thing. What what's conventions like as 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 an actor? Because it'd be different to what convention goers like, like me or or, or Jeff, whoever Jeff is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you and Jeff. Um, yeah, it's the other side of the the other side of the camera, so to speak. Yeah, very good question. Well, for us, um, let's see. The first one I did. Um, I can understand what it's like to be a fan because it was at Imperial College in London and it was my first taste of a Doctor Who convention. 
And I'd been asked along by the Doctor Who Appreciation Society. I had no idea what I'd let myself in for. And I arrived at this place and I kind of announced myself. It was before even my first story, Dragonfire, had gone out. So nobody knew who I was. And uh, they took me into the green room at this convention. And over sitting in the corner, I can see it now, was my doctor, John Pertwee, the brigadier, Nick Courtney, John Levine, Richard Franklin, unit. You know, I mean, it was just like there was my childhood in the corner. And so I had this fan moment and uh, they took me over, introduced me and I could hardly speak. I was so overawed by meeting them. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's, it's very different because of course, um, what's wonderful, what I, what I absolutely love about conventions is that meeting the other people like, just like that, who were part of my childhood or who I didn't even know were in it and who've now become great, great friends. Like, I mean, I was messaging Nicola just yesterday about something, um, and um, Bonnie, every time I see her, we, we have such a laugh and I, all, all, the, all the companions, Janet and I, um, we've bumped into each other recently and just had a brilliant time together. Um, Louise, we're, we're all really happy for each other as well. Annika rang her up on her birthday. Oh, that reminds me, gosh, I must get in touch with Sarah because she, she had an important birthday recently. Um, yeah, and, and it's funny because we're all very different people, yeah. but we all share this really big thing in our lives. And it, and it is a big thing in all of our lives still. Yeah. Likewise, the doctors. I've been so lucky that I've met and worked with all the doctors. Um, Tom Baker, gosh, that was funny because, of course, I was a bit overawed by him because he's such an amazing, you know, what, what a character. And um, we went to an American convention together. Um, he didn't even really know who I was to begin with. And then we started talking and he, we got on really, really well. And then a few months later, I went to do this job for schools radio, I think, at the BBC. And I had no idea who I was gonna be with. And I walked into the, the foyer and there was Tom. And the producer said, Ah, oh, um, Tom, this is Sophie Aldridge, who's going to be working with you today. And he put out his arms like this, and he's a big bloke. And he sort of folded me into his chair. <laughs> and he said, ah, yes, I, I'm thinking of adopting Sophie, he said. <laughs> yeah, really, really amazing. And obviously, Peter, Colin, everybody. Even even the newer doctors, you know. Well, the first time I worked with David Tennant was um, when before he was the doctor, mm. and he did a big finish. He was a, a jobbing actor. I think he was doing something at the National Theatre, just a small part at the National Theatre in the evenings. Forgive me if it was a big part, David. But uh, anyway, <laughs> and um, he walked into the green room and I just, there was something extremely special about him, his presence. And I, and we did a, a story called Colditz together where he played a, a, a nasty Nazi. And um, 
so we had quite a lot of scenes together and and that was great to meet him then and then of course he became Doctor Who and then I worked with him on a cartoon called Tree Fu Tom where he played my sidekick so that was quite funny really. <laughs> yeah and with the 60th anniversary which is which is just just like bizarre to even mention because you wouldn't expect a small sci-fi show like this to have lasted so long and with Russell T Davis returning and all these rumours flying around because um, obviously if it was true you wouldn't be able to say anything but would, do you reckon you would be up if you got asked to return for the 60s would you say yes? Oh, I'd be in there like a shot. Yes, don't worry. I've been texting Russell at regular intervals, reminding him of my presence. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, my goodness. I would absolutely love to be in some kind of, you know, anniversary or something. It'd be great. Yeah. And with you being in Big Finish, you have not only played Ace, you have also played um, a character in the Torchwood audios that I have got on my desk but um, yes. so much of a mess I cannot see oh here it is here it is see see mess clears up easy here it is here it is I uh there you go. There you go. without the flare what was That's it like it. recording this because this um this is like completely different from ace yes well this is ace grown up so this is this is uh, what Ace became, who Ace became. She became Dorothy. And I think it was possibly inspired by the trailer for the um, the season 26 Blu-ray, mm. where Pete McTie, Pete who's such a talented man, um, he sent me this script out of the blue by email one day. And he said, would you be interested in being in the trailer? For the blu-ray have a read of this and tell me what you think so i opened the attachment read it burst into tears because it was it was really moving very nostalgic the way he'd written it and then we went and shot this in an office um just opposite the tower of london had an amazing day matthew sweet was there i was um interviewed by him and then we shot this um this sequence and that gave me it's all tied in this I will come back to Torchwood in a minute but it's all tied in with to get together because then when I was asked by Penguin to write a, a novel um, where Ace meets the 13th Doctor this is what I thought of I thought ah this is who Ace has become she's she's embraced her Dorothy and she is um which is something Russell T Davis mentioned in, in one of the Sarah Jane adventures, that she's the CEO of a, a charitable earth, her charity, which is making a difference to people all over the globe, righting wrongs and doing exactly what she was doing with the doctor. And then um, I got the call to do this episode of Torchwood, where that, that theme is taken on yeah. again a bit further. And uh, it was brilliant because we managed to record it um, at, again at the studio, the Sound House um, in West London. And um, I'd never met Paul before, Paul Clayton, and who and he, we hit it off straight away. I loved the script anyway. I thought it was great. It's so kind of um, 
it's clever and it's very topical um and i thoroughly enjoyed um my time doing that so i'm rather hoping that there's going to be like we were a good double act so i'm rather hoping there's going to be room for a few more of those mm. um and um speaking of the box sets which if i wheel a little bit i don't know which way to wheel i'm probably gonna i'll, I'll move <laughs> i will this way you can yes I'll, I'll i'll just move this you can start oh brilliant look at that collection some of the box sets are there and yes i can see Right, I'll put those down so I can wheel back. Yes, amazing. I daily exercise this. Really. <laughs> um, and and um, with with the box sets, what's it like um, recording the extras? Oh, the it's sets? brilliant fun. Yes, particularly the behind the sofas and around the around the tables. Um, that's been a pleasure to do. What's so lovely again is just getting together with the other actors on the show. And in some cases, um, particularly the stories that I have never seen before, like um, Peter's season, for example, and uh, just trying to work out what the heck is going on. Because of course, you don't get the full episode either. Now, you call me, Call me a bit dim, but I didn't realise this to begin with. Oh. So I'm watching, I'm watching this episode and I'm thinking, now I know Doctor Who is often quite kind of convoluted and difficult to understand, <laughs> but I'm quite clever at this and I really don't understand what's going on in this story because it seems to kind of chop and change and cut. And then it was only when we had a break and I said, what happened between and they said no no you're only seeing the clips you're only seeing the edited highlights and you're commenting on that because of course silly me otherwise we'd be there for days recording this <laughs> stuff, you know? especially the older series where they're doing these massive story arcs you know so yeah, that's been really really good fun actually I've, yeah. I've thoroughly enjoyed that mm. and and I was speaking to my dad about it because I was on my family it seems and i labeled it doctor who does goggle box which is what what is is even better about it because i doctor is my favorite tv show of all time my room's doctor who and my one of one of the best reality tv shows if you call it reality is goggle box and merging them together is a perfect thing to do and a lot of i can't remember the name of the youtube channel, but there's a doctor youtube channel that sort of does a similar thing to that where they've got one episode playing across like the the, the world technically because one of them is american and they watch this episode in a <laughs> style and that's what behind the sofa does really well because behind the sofa one is amazing looks amazing and is amazing it, it's like that could have its own uh dvd release itself it didn't even need to be behind it but when you did the round table i was speaking to chris chapman who who is who's who's amazing and and that interview was hilarious trying to edit clips with that because his child was just hilarious dominated at different points but he said he got inspiration from uh out from the tv show i'll pay for this have you ever seen that program oh no i haven't no well that's that's what the, it's based off and that yeah. is a concept in itself that works in its way where there's challenges and whoever loses 
is paying for the meal at the end of the night. Oh, brilliant. For, yeah. For celebrities. So, for instance, Richard Madeley has been on it. And if he lost, he would be paying for this meal. And everyone's been sabotaging each other and saying, oh, I'll get the most expensive food. I'll get the most. Ex- no, I'll get something that's even more expensive than any of you lot. And one of you has to pay to be their own fault because they'll probably have to pay. And oh, I love that. That's, that's great. That's what Roundtable was inspired by. And that's when you watch the Roundtable, mm-hmm. you can sort of see the similarities and you can yeah. see how oh, it, it, it's just amazing. It's oh, Chris is, Chris is brilliant. And those ideas are fantastic, aren't they? Because as you say, they're enjoyable in their own right. And they're about Doctor Who. Um, yes, there's also um, Russell Minton, who's the um, executive producer, who's also a genius. And he's... Uh, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's just brilliant at pulling it all together and making everybody so happy and getting on with each other. And yeah, it's, it's a great, great team. And then you've got, um, you've got Paul Venezes, who's on the restoration team as well. And the whole crew are, well, not only are they really good at what they do, really good at what they do, but they are also Doctor Who fans themselves. Yeah. You've got Andrew Beach there, sitting in the corner um who has been i mean you know he's been involved in the world of doctor who since the 70s um i think he was one of the founder members of the doctor who appreciation society he was certainly president when i was um doing doctor who and what he doesn't know about doctor who isn't really worth uh talking about he's also he's a he's got an amazing collection of doctor who costumes as well and memorabilia Um, so yeah anything if we say oh what's what does that mean you know immediately you've got about four (laughs) or five people who all go oh well that's the you know they are so so the whole of the blu-ray boxes are backed up with this massive wealth of knowledge of all these people it's amazing wow and and the blu-ray box sets themselves i'll i'll mention they do look stunning because they're made by Lee Binding, and they're amazing. When you saw these covers for the first time, what was your reaction? Do you know, it wasn't even so much the covers. I mean, the covers are incredible. It was the way that they're put together and what's included. So they're, they're, they're lovely to even hold, you know, these boxes. Uh, there's this, the sleeve that you pull off and then opening it up, and the way that, that everything's been thought of meticulously, you know, what is a fan? What is a fan really going to want to see? Well, they're going to want to have a, a bit of room to write or to have autographs on the covers. They're going to have to, you know, they want to want it nice so it looks great on the shelf, as witnessed by yourself behind you. They are going to want to have a, a quite a meaty insert that they could get signed as well with lots of information. So, I mean, the whole package is, and and the photographs that are chosen and the artwork is brilliant as well, because sometimes it's quite unusual stuff that you haven't necessarily seen before. So yeah, I was so impressed. Now, now you mentioned quite a a little bit ago before we got sidetracked about the blueberry box sets and, and how amazing they are because you can't not talk about the Blu-ray boxes. You have to. But yeah. you wrote your very own 
Doctor Who novel as a now um because I'm on Audible and I've got the little thing where you get the free credit every month and I'm like oh what do I get I got the audio version and I am right. planning to get the physical version in my collection <laughs> but um there's, there's so much Doctor Who you can only buy so much but I've got the audio book version which you've read now what was it like writing for Ace because when Doctor Who when you were on Doctor Who you weren't obviously writing for the character and when I was interviewing Robin Stevens he mentioned how you were getting fan letters as Ace and you had to write as Ace what was it like with all that knowledge and with all with all that the character comes with what was it like <laughs> writing for Ace in this novel yeah great question um well it was really much easier than I thought it would be. I think because I know the character so well, you know, she's such a part of my life and such a part of um, possibly even who I am as a person. Um, so, I mean, I, I wrote it with Mike Tucker and Steve Cole, who also, I mean, Mike, was right there at the beginning of Ace as well in the visual effects department. So he and I go a long way back. He has written for Ace on many occasions. I've, I've read um, his audio books as well. Um, so the three of us had a very good understanding of where we wanted to go with it, of where I wanted to go with it, where, of where, um, I, I was able to tell them about the trailer that we'd just shot, uh, the ideas that I had, the kind of style that I wanted to um, portray. So actually, I mean, apart from the actual slog of, of sitting down and, and doing it, which is, I have to say, writing is not my favourite thing. Um, I love being with people. That's part of why I'm an actress is I love working and creating and building something with people which is why I'm so grateful that Mike and Steve were there as well um, because it's um it's a lonely process I think um, and when you get stuck you, you know there's no you you have to bail yourself out you know um, so yes it's not my favorite thing to do but I'm so glad that the book exists, you know, I'm really glad. And it was great to do the audio because in fact, what had happened was that the, um, it hadn't finally gone to print. So I was able to correct some typos and kind of work out a few more bits actually as we were going along, which not many people get to do. It's really funny, you know, that's about typos. I've noticed however many times I read a script and I prepare it in my head or I do a lot of audiobooks so I can read it I can prepare it I could got my, my eye pen out and underlining and putting all the and then it's not until I'm actually reading it out loud that I notice a lot of the typos it's really really strange I think the brain processes differently when you're reading to yourself than when you're reading out loud and a lot of people who might be listening to or watching this I bet you better be watching this rather than listen to it because it because you rather see our faces. And you've put your lovely suit on as well. <laughs> and um, so, for, for for people out there that might be budding authors, how long did it take you to 
like write it from cover to cover as they say in the book well yeah we had to deliver it I think it was six months which is a um it's a it's a very short lead time maybe it was even less I can't remember Mm -hmm. yeah um it was possibly even less now that's not something that you really want I, I I don't know but I think most authors get more time to to write their books um and I think it obviously depends on what you're writing as well and and but it's um again I it must I think it's probably like being an actor you know if you're a writer or not yeah it's like if you know you're an actor you know yeah, yeah. and with, with with the book being popular with with as in as in it's mega but everywhere you look you you see people reading it because it's such a, an amazing book mm-hmm. are you are you glad with the reception that, that the feedback you've been given because it's not necessarily in your in your like comfort zone as you say yeah i'm absolutely thrilled um because i what what i really want to do with all the doctor who stuff i do with big finish with with everything torchwood is to provide something that's going that's going to be pleasurable for the fans and be something that they can really treasure and i wasn't it wasn't just about the story even or the the writing i i love the the whole look of it Again, I'm I'm quite into design, as you probably gathered by me talking about the box sets. But the um, I did go through a bit of uh, the cover they came up with. Luckily, was something I was really keen on. We wanted to we wanted it to look a bit like a sort of girl on the train type cover, um, and I was delighted what they came up with. Um, we had a bit of about the at childhood's end because we wanted it to spell A-C-E obviously and initially it was A-C-E under each other and that just that didn't look quite right so we had a bit of changing about of that but I love the look and the feel of the book as well. Mm. And and so going back to to uh, conventions now because I don't know if you've been asked this before but it's always intriguing because I I can probably say about um, there's like thousands upon thousands around the world of fans of this show, and when when they come to conventions, they bring things for you to sign. Not always the things you expect, but what's the craziest thing a fan has given you to to sign? Oh well, this has got to be. Um, I was at a small convention, and there was an auction. And I'd given a few photographs and things to sign. And the auction was for charity. It was for a very good cause. I can't remember which one. That's another thing about Doctor Who fans. I mean, gosh, if you could count up the amount of money that Doctor Who fans have raised over the years for charity, it would run into millions and millions, I think. Um, Anyway, so I'm sitting in the green room and it's lunchtime and they're doing the auction. And all of a sudden, somebody runs into the green room and says, we haven't got any more auction items left. Um, is there anything, anything anyone's got? And at uh, that moment, he, he was looking around and I was holding my cheese and tomato roll. <laughs> and he just went, oh, uh, that'll do. 
and he took my plate with the cheese and tomato roll and that was auctioned off. I think somebody paid 50 quid for this half-eaten cheese and tomato roll. Anyway, I felt sorry for the guy, so I, um, I signed it for him. And then the next day, because it was an overnight, an overnight thing, he came up to me rather shamefaced and he said, is there any chance that you could sign something else for me? And I said, well, what happened to the role? And he said, I got drunk and I ate it. <laughs> wow. And then there's another one. And I know I was, I know definitely where I was for this one. It was down on the South coast. And, um, we were in this hall and I'm, I was on the stage with Colin Baker. So I could see the, the queue snaking down to the doors. And this guy comes up and um, he's got a little piece of paper, you know, about this big, a little square of paper. He thrusts it in front of me and he says, sign there. And I said, okay. And he said, make sure you sign it within in the lines. And I said, oh, yeah, all right, all right. You know, come on, okay, calm down. Anyway, so off he went. And a couple of hours later, I'm looking out again and I see this same bloke in the queue and I think, oh, he's got something else for me to sign. Anyway, slowly makes his way up to the front of the queue. And then he gets to the front of my table and he whips off his T-shirt. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on here? And he turns around and he's got this patch uh, over his shoulder like this. And he said, I've had that tattooed on my shoulder. And what he'd done was he'd gone, no wonder he wanted it ni nice and neat inside. He'd gone straight off with this bit of paper that I'd signed to a tattoo parlor. And he'd had it tattooed on his shoulder. Wow. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> wow. We went from someone eating some, I, I wouldn't even think, that wouldn't even taste nice, eating something that then had pen on it. It did have gold pen on it, yeah. I was a bit worried for him for a minute. If he, if he I don't know, I don't know if the bot used his mouth, but the next time he drinks in his mouth, I would be seeing all this gold thinking, where is that coming <laughs> from? Because not every piece of gold is edible. I know there's edible gold in the food when you make it, but yeah, we not from, from a I know. Pen. And lucky he wasn't an old Cyberman either. Yeah. That wouldn't have done him any good. Oh, oh. Um, so one thing that fans also love, uh, I'm not one of them because I, I'm not the best at coming up with accurate costumes, but what was it like wearing the Ace Bomber jacket? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I'm very proud of that. Really proud because it was my idea. Um, so I, when the, um, when they said, oh, um, you know, what do you think Ace would wear? It was Andrew Cartmel, our script editor. Um, we'd have conversations about what kids would wear and things. So I went off and I, I looked in various magazines and I thought, ah, oh, okay. So this is what the kids are wearing. And I saw a couple of photos of these girls wearing these black flight jackets, nylon flight jackets from, um, you know, sort of army surplus or whatever, with badges and safety pins all over. So I took this, these pictures in as sort of references to the costume designer. 
And, uh, and he said, yeah, that's a really good look. So we went off and um, bought all the bits and bobs and put it all together. And I was really pleased with it, particularly seeing as um, often on location, it's freezing cold when you're filming. Boy, was I glad to have that jacket because then I could hide a hot water bottle underneath it or a, an extra pair of thermals, you know, or a, a, an extra jumper. So yeah, I was, I was I'm always very proud of that, of that jacket. Yeah, and so I, th I need to remember this. Last week, I was re-watching, to prepare for this interview, I did a few things. One, I bought so, some, some of the more audios. One, because I, I, get, I get away with it, because if oh. it's an interview, I, I can buy whatever I like, well, obviously I have to not spend too much money, but I can buy audios just because it looks like it's research and half the time, it's, just, it's not really, it's just my collection. It is, it's research, everyone. I, I, and so I, so because I have the best streaming service on planet Earth, BritBox, that has glorious episodes of Doctor Who on it, I yeah. decided to re-watch one of my favourite stories of all, even though um, John Pertwee is my second favourite Doctor. The best story all, of all time is Destiny of the Daleks. What was it like filming that? And is that baseball bat real? Is it like a foam or is it like proper... Oh, oh Remembrance of the Daleks. There's oh, so many... Yeah, there's so many of the Daleks. Yeah. Oh, so, Remembrance of the Daleks was my first story as the assistant on my own. Mm. So that was very special for me. And that sequence where I beat up the Dalek with the baseball bat, I mean, little did I think when we were doing that, that it was going to go down in history and be my sort of signature, uh, signature scene. I loved it, I have to say, I loved it. We rehearsed it in the studio with, uh, with in the rehearsal studio with the stunt coordinator. Um, and so I kind of knew the layout, I knew what it was going to be like. But actually on the day, when we filmed it in that real deserted lab, uh, the benches, were there. it was so realistic. Um, and uh, it was just brilliant, brilliant fun. It was a real metal baseball bat. So it was quite, it hurt because I had to whack the eye stalk, which is metal as well. Yeah. Um, and then I did all the diving under the bench and all the jumping on it and stuff. What I hadn't realised was that they were going to set Otter and Bunsen burners and things. Yeah. Um, so that was very exciting. Mm. And then just at the end, um, before they reset, um, we finished that take and it could only be one take. That's the thing about the stunt. You can really only do it once yeah. or it's a pain in the butt for um, production because they've got to reset the whole thing. So we rehearsed a lot and then I did it. And then the stunt coordinator, Tip Tipping, came over to me and he said, right, sit down, get your breath back, because you've been through with the amount of adrenaline that's gone through you, you've been through the equivalent of a small car crash. So I sat down. He said, I'm going to tell everybody to go for a cup of tea. I'll get, go and get you a cup of tea, but just sit here on your own, get your breath back, get your heart rate back down. And he was right. I was like buzzing like this. And everybody left. 
And then suddenly I heard this little sound. I heard this. It's like, oh, what's that? I heard. And I looked round. I couldn't for the life of me see where it was coming from. And then I heard this little voice, muffled voice going. Oh, excuse me. Could somebody let me out of here, please? And it was the poor guy in the Dalek. And everybody had completely forgotten about him. They'd all gone for tea and left him in the corner in the Dalek. <laughs> and poor guy, because he must have, obviously he had all that whacking going on. He couldn't see a thing. He was like, yeah. So I felt sorry for the poor wow. guy. Wow. That, that, that's good. That is, you would, oh, you would just be so apologetic. You, you wouldn't stop apologising to him forever. So, I know. So, um, now, because you're you're knowledgeable, right? Imagine this this is the first figure I had on me, so so it's a it's a darling, but I said let's imagine this is a the next companion, uh let, let's call it uh Samantha. Okay. I, no one knows why, and no one knows why it's a, a darling, but it's on Is it head. a friend of Jeff at the beginning of the interview? Yeah, yeah, it's a friend of Jeff, it's Jeff's half sister. Yeah. Uh, and, and she was going to be the next companion. What advice would you give Samantha? Uh, well, Sylvester would say, learn your lines and don't bump into the monsters. And I think that's quite good advice, really. No, I would say, seriously, I would say, remember every moment, because this will be the defining job of your life you will you will love this and it will be hard work but really make the most of every moment and take every opportunity that comes your way and so for, for because doctor who is now at it at a point where the popularity is like skyrocketed and the new series was amazing fantastical and and, and, and it's like new fans are like sprouting up here, there, everywhere. Um, what do, do you get many young, like, like, like younger than me, like, like 10 years, let's say, let's say as a benchmark, 10 year olds coming up to you talking about Ace? Yes, and that's what's been the most wonderful thing about the series coming back um, and gaining in popularity because there was a time when there weren't 10 year olds around who were coming up. I remember, oh, a tragic moment in my life was I went to open a new museum somewhere in the Southwest and they had a Dalek at the top of the stairs. It was, it was a regular museum. Yeah. Um, and I opened the museum and, uh, and then I was doing a signing up the stairs and I could hear this child coming up the stairs with their mum looking at the Dalek at the top of the stairs and going, what's that, mum? And it just broke my heart because I just thought, whoa, there's this whole generation of kids who are growing up not knowing what a Dalek is, you know? So now um, what's brilliant is when I do signings and conventions and so on, there's a lot of families who come up to the tables and a lot of, uh, and then also a lot of younger people who started watching Jodie or whoever, and who've then realized, oh, there's 
nearly 60 years of this stuff going on and it's all available it's yeah. as you you mentioned Britbox and it's on DVD and it's accessible and people can get hold of it again because don't forget for many years it wasn't possible to access Doctor Who so now it's readily available and younger people can watch it and they love it just as much they love the classic series just as much which gobsmacks me but I'm not complaining and with as you said there there was a period which fans have adopted the word the wilderness years which already sounds like a Doctor Who series waiting to be made in Big Finish with, with Nudge Nudge Nicholas yes I, I, I'm not really going to wink in so I just made some form of you do the nudging I'll do the uh, winking yeah there you go yeah uh, and so with that UK TV Gold, which is what it was called at the time, now just gold, that's the only place you can watch Only Fun and Horses because it's on all the time. And you've seen that episode four times already, but you've decided to watch it again. But if you've already seen it four times in the same day. But anyway, other than track, I complain about that on a different video, in a different channel. I've got places to complain. But a lot of fans Good, a lot of fans watched it on UK TV, like a lot of young ones that were around before I was, because I was born in 2004, even though I was around for VHSs and I've still got VHSs downstairs and you can only briefly see uh, there's some VHSs up Oh yes, there. I can spot the bottoms of some VHSs. Or, or, or behind me. Or, yes. Or, I remember where I put them now. There. Uh, and so what did you ever watch yourself back <laughs> when it was on UK TV play? I never watched it because we didn't have, I didn't have those sorts of channels because it I don't know. I'm to be honest. I'm not a huge TV watcher, so actually, I haven't watched myself back that much. Mm -hmm. um, I've watched obviously when people are screening it at conventions and things. Um, it was a thrill to me to watch the remastered um, Curse of Fenric yeah. a few years back on the big screen at the BFI. That was that was amazing. Um, and I'm not one of these actors who goes, oh, I never watch myself. I can, under <laughs> I can understand why people don't want to. Yeah. But I, I love it as a learning opportunity. And also, I'm really proud of what I did, especially yeah. with Ace. And it's funny, I was, um, I was, I was watching recently something, a, a bit of Doctor Who, a bit of Ace. And there's some way that, again, you can see all the, the presenting stuff I used to do as well. Yeah. It's coming on, coming on YouTube and things like that. I seem to be able to separate me, Sophie, from that on the screen, yeah. whoever that is. Yeah. And um, so I'm very lucky that I don't mind watching myself. Mm. And as I say, I use it to learn and to think, oh, that didn't work. I'm not, I'm, I'm not hard on myself so much as an actor. I am in other ways, but I can look at something and I can go, that doesn't work, rather than, oh no, you got that wrong. Yeah, you know? yeah and, and it, it's interesting because over the last year I've interviewed, uh, last year was 23 people, which is shocking to my amount. Wow. I did my first ever interview in 2020. I never interviewed anyone in my entire life, but. Oh, hey, oh, good for you. Uh, and, and with that, you, you learn how the difference of like all the, all the ones that watch themselves back, don't watch themselves back. And 
and because I'm also uh, a uh, what's the term uh, like inspiring actor, uh, I, I make really rubbish comedy skits and sitcoms and and do as much as I can be to be in stuff I make. And and I, I watch my, my myself back because it's it's one funny and two because it's interesting. And when you when you're in a popular TV show like that. It's interesting to know that you watch yourself back because it is something to be proud of to be in this. And it's also rather exciting that you want yourself on TV with millions of others or, or millions of people have seen it. And it because they also mentioned within the new series that they watch themselves back because they've not actually seen it how it airs because of all the CGI. Was oh, it, that's right. Yeah. Was it similar? Was it similar for you? Did it did when you watched it back? <laughs> Did it look a little bit different to how it looked when you were filming it? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, it wasn't so much, obviously, as now, because the CGI is incredible. But there were there were lots of things that we didn't know what it was, you know, quite what it was going to look like. Um, but I think more than that, for me, was the order of the story. Because, of course, we were filming out of out of story yeah. like you do you 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 know you you film all the scenes in the school lab in remembrance of the daleks together so we did the we do the stunts the beating up the dalek with the baseball bat then we do the mothership arriving and the windows blowing in with um with the unit team um then we we'd do everything there then we'd move to another location so by the time we'd finished filming, I'd kind of forgotten the story, you know, and then to see it, to see it as it hung together as a story it was like, oh, yeah. And it's actually quite hard to watch it as a story because I'm I know what I was thinking and what went behind what was going on in those particular scenes. So you have to sort of almost suspend your disbelief and watch it as a story. Yeah. Now, coming towards the end of this interview, because uh, I, I don't keep track of time, I'm not the best timekeeper, so hopefully we've been going for an hour. Uh, I, I don't I don't have a watch on either, so I wouldn't even be able to tell you that. But I like uh, the way that you looked at your watch, even though you didn't have one. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah, because it, it, it's, I don't know why people do that, but it's like, oh, oh it's half past, no clue. Um, and so with, with BFI being the best thing, well, I say the best thing in the world, it's a dream, one of my many dreams, because every night you, you sleep in your dream, obviously, but one of my many dreams is to go to the BFI South Bank, but because I don't live that side of Britain, it's yeah. not as accessible for me just to nip down and, uh, and, and, and spend there, but because they are showing some of the Blu-ray box set, if I you can talk to yes. box sets and animation which are also behind there I, I can't know I don't know where to point which story would you like to see shown at the BFI South Bank oh my goodness um let's see well from the ones that have already been made um I think I'd like to see survival actually because survival like you were saying about cgi um and what we used to call it in those days was paint box yeah and i think some of the vistas that were created um for the planet 
where the cheetah people planet, where the master is. And there's these two moons and there's a wonderful sky. And the, I'd love to see that on a big wide screen yeah. actually. I yeah. think that would look amazing. Mm. And now, now because because um, we're, we're we're getting to the finer details now. With I've just got it down with a big finish. I mean, with uh, with what fans want to see next. Once they've finished with the TV animation, is animating T big finish stories. Which story out of the ones you've done would work really well in some form of animation? Gosh, well, two spring to mind. The first one that I can think of is The Harvest, which is where um, the character of Hex was first introduced. Um, I'm just seeing in my mind's eye an animation of it's a Cyberman story, and I'm just seeing Cybermen sort of pounding down the embankment outside St Thomas's Hospital in, uh, in London. So there's that. Yeah. And then the other one that I think would lend itself very well, and this... Um, this goes back to a, a brilliant cartoonist called um, Raymond Briggs. I don't know if you know, he, he's the one who, man who, behind the snowman. Oh yeah. He also did a fantastic book called um, When the Wind Blows, which was about a nuclear holocaust. And it was very, it was, it's a beautiful book. You should try and get hold of it. It's very sad and very, um, very thoughtful. It's about a little old couple sitting in there house and dealing with a nuclear explosion and that reminds me of um, a story I did again with Philip Olivier with Hex called Protect and Survive which is a brilliant story which would actually also lend itself very well to um, TV anyway yeah but it's it's about um, a nuclear winter and um, Protect and Survive was the government guidelines for what to do in the event of a nuclear war uh, or nuclear explosion, which was hopelessly kind of uh, inefficient. And nowadays, it look, you look back and you think, oh my goodness, how can they possibly have thought that would work? But I just think that that would work in a kind of quite a macabre way, yeah, really well. Mm. Mm. Now, coming towards the end of this interview with some beautiful final questions to get some beautiful fluttering final answers now with um with recently as in like just before christmas jack reeves who is a brilliant youtuber uh did a program program i say program it's like talk like you could call youtube tv if you like but if whatever and he did a series called doctor who the community show where he highlights the highs and all the best bits of the doctor who community from fan films fan audio fan art fan costumes, interviews, like some of the ones that are like, fantastic at dialing impressions, well, with, with help from technology and things. But what's your favourite, because you're, you're, because you're massive now, what's your favourite part of, of the community? I think my favourite part is, um, well, for me personally, is sounds a bit corny but if it, making a difference to people and if i can go to doctor who, who convention and make somebody feel good about themselves and about life then i think that's job done yeah no, that that's that's very nice to hear because that's what people want from 
these people that, that make them laugh make them cry cries in like cries of happiness cries of oh that seems really emotional yeah, not good, like, good crying yeah you've not you it's not like you've said something really horrible and you made yeah. them cry <laughs> yeah it's not like little timmy in the corner is crying yeah there's nothing like a good good cry is yeah, there yeah yeah a, a good cry it's like when you watch a, a romantic film or, or if you're watching an episode of Doctor Who and that and that darling because you're in such a good performance, it made you weep. Yeah. Yeah, which is, is a bizarre thing. But with um, recent news and because uh, with my, because I run eight YouTube channels, don't ask why, because I don't know either. I recently made a video on the um, news about, the potential news about the stop doing animations. What's your thoughts on, on that as a, as an actor, actress, and as 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 a fan of Doctor Who, what's your opinions on the fact that potentially animations could stop coming? Well, I'm a huge fan of animation. Um, I think that's great, and um, it, yeah, it, keep them coming is what I say. Um, if it's all to do with budgets, isn't it? That's the problem. Yeah. Um, there's got to be there's got to be a the money and be the market so if people keep buying them and if people if they're popular then it'll it'll mm. it'll go ahead um i mean i i what i like to see is as much doctor who stuff yeah. going on as possible because the thing is then then everybody is happy because there's something for everyone then so yeah whatever whatever works best for the most people and so with doctor who currently off air as as i'll say because the legend of the sea devils will be airing later this year and with all the dvds big finish britbox bbti player stan who wherever it is around the world and we've got so much doctor who in your in your field which is massive have you got anything exciting that you're allowed to say that's upcoming within the Doctor Who universe? Yes and no. I can't say anything about it. Isn't it annoying? You can never say anything, can you? Yeah. You're under a NDA. There's, there's yeah, that's right. Say. Well, I mean, yes, there's a few. There's. I don't even know um, when it's gonna. Anyway, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm working on something at the moment. Um, a little thing. I mean. I don't want to get, that's another thing. I don't want to get people too excited yeah. either because then people will go, oh my God, she's going to be back on screen, you know. Yeah. Um, but I literally can't say anything about it. So how boring is that? Well, this has been a fantastic interview. It's been a delightful interview because um, it, it's been, it's, it's like the moment I got this interview, I was like, wow I, I was i was shocked i was flabbergasted but whenever people whenever people ask have i got any upcoming interviews i was suave and sophisticated and like yeah <laughs> i've got one yeah i'll not i'll not just casually just, just casually got one um and because you are everywhere um where can people find you like not like not at like your house address you don't want to <laughs> be like half an hour saying hello are you there like, <laughs> where can they find you that isn't your house address oh uh, yeah well i'm i'm on social media 
um, if you just if you put Sophie Aldred into um, Google, um, my website basically has all my Twitter address and my Facebook and all that. So yeah, go to my website, which is sophiealdred.com and then you'll find everything that you need to find there. And there you go. The interview of a lifetime, as fans would say, and I would say. We had, we've had hide with headphones. We've even had me, me, uh, me do some exercise. and, and Yeah, the, and chucking your stuff around. Yeah. yeah. It, it, well, to be fair, my room's not the tidiest. You can see, you can see Doctor Who. Oh, it looks pretty tidy to me. Yeah, well, it, it's took a while because over there I've got like Doctor Who, um, Radio Times and an issue of Beano because there was a YouTuber in it. And you were um, Dennis the Menace. Of course, yeah. Before, before Christopher Johnson, who's another long-lasted Doctor Who fan. Um, and so we, we will wrap it up there because we've all got other things. We don't want to be here for four hours. I don't know why I looked at it. I keep yeah, yeah that, that invisible watch is doing really well tonight. Yeah. So <laughs> um, if a fan of Doctor Who said, you know, um, what, what, what piece of advice would you give them as, as just in like a random piece of advice? Mm. What advice would you give them? Make the most of everything of your life. There we go. That's a uh, very, see, see people crying now. You can see that old woman, um, Doris, 86, crying her eyes out now because uh, it's words of wisdom. Um, I'm, I'm weird sometimes. But hey-ho, we, we live, we learn. So in the Tom Mason universe coming up, I have something special that's being worked around, right? That's the, the weird side of the third channel. Um, Tom's comedy club will get Summit soon. I'm just working that out. And Taskmaster World, which is having a few delays with a special video. I tried to edit it today. It's a huge mess. Ugh. Subtitles, noise. Ugh. And I have a special something happening. So the return of uh, Taskmaster World, the podcast, will be happening. But as I always say, stay tuned. The best place to stay tuned is TGM Productions on Facebook and all my others and Twitter because that's where you'll probably find it. You probably got this interview from Twitter because it's going to be globally famous like Alex Long was, but this is going to be even more famous because more people have heard of Sophie Aldred and Doctor Who. It's uh, they all connect in the universe. But anyway, guys, before I my head explodes with um, multiverse and universal connections and, and timelines and other Doctor Who uh, nonsense. I'd like to say thank you to Sophie Aldred for this fan fantastic interview and thank you for letting me have this time with you to talk about the best show on planet Earth. Oh, it's a pleasure, Tom. It's been really good fun. Thank you. And thank you guys for watching and listening. Hopefully you enjoyed. Please do tell me that it was amazing because it was amazing and I, and I can guarantee it was amazing. And this and when I come to edit it, the way it looks will be outstanding because why make why make something brilliant and make it look awful? Mm. But anyway, guys, thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, hopefully, have the podcast logo 
fixed on Apple very soon. Thank you guys for watching. Time on, time out. I don't know what happened with my voice there. Let's go again. Time on, time out. Bye.